Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast. Here we go. Big Ten Media Days is officially in the books. And boy, do I got some thoughts, especially with what we heard from Frost, what we heard from from the players, we heard from Trev, we heard reactions to what everybody said in Indianapolis. I have some takeaways because this has been this has been has been a, a very interesting few days to just watch Big Ten Media Days, watch the reaction to it for Nebraska, and uh, and 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 come away with some some thoughts. I got about. Uh, I wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I got 10 Big Ten Media Days takeaways for Nebraska. 10. So here we go. Buckle up. Let's get into this thing here. 10 Media Day takeaways for Nebraska. The first takeaway we that, that or topic I want to get into is some people, most notably Tom Chattel, who I like, by the way, I, I, I love Tom. I've known Tom for a while. I, I, I like Tom Chattel. Tom, some people, most notably Tom Chattel, uh, whose headline to his column out of Big Ten Media Days was Frost's strange stumble out of the gate is a perplexing start to Big Ten Media Days, where Tom Chattel didn't like that Scott Frost didn't have an opening statement. And certainly there, he was not alone in this regard. There were a lot of people that were critical of, of Scott Frost not having an opening, opening statement. Nebraska was the very first school to go uh, Scott Frost was the very first coach to get up to the podium. And after Kevin Warren had some remarks, he introduced Scott Frost. And some coaches, most coaches, have an opening statement before they turn it over to, uh, uh, to, to questions. And Frost got up there, and I think he was maybe waiting for what was going to happen. And, and the moderator said, you want a statement? He said, nope, let's go to questions. And they went to questions. Um. But there was a lot of people that took that took issue with Scott Frost's demeanor, his lack of an opening statement. Uh, they thought Frost's overall vibe and presence was just was so far. His media performance was was so far. Uh, I, I I have so many thoughts on this. I do. I I'll be honest. I hate that I saw I saw Tom Chattel's column before seeing Frost's press conference, and I think that like. You know, you got to. I I didn't knew what I was getting ready to see, because I I I didn't get to have my raw reaction to it in the moment. Because I I really feel like in the moment I wouldn't have necessarily thought twice about it. Uh, I get it, and I agree that yes, in a perfect world, in those moments, uh. Are, are usually where your your head coach is a representative of your university, your football program, your all, all that stuff, and they're supposed to, you know, say something in an opening statement to project confidence and and all that stuff. Per, all, I, I I get all that. I really really do. And Frost didn't do that. He didn't. But at the same time, I mean, Scott Frost has never been Mister Charm with the media either. 
Like, I guess I missed all the times that that Scott Frost was up there and was just just incredibly charming and and all that stuff. He's he's kind of never been that. But I think I think this whole thing just also hammers home my point that I made to Bo Rude a, a couple weeks ago on on a podcast about Scott Frost and just his really, really, really quiet offseason. How we have just not heard much from Scott Frost from the end of spring football, basically until Big Ten Media Days. We haven't heard a thing from Scott Frost. And I think the how everything played out at Media Days and the reaction to it and all this stuff, I think hammers home as to why we haven't heard much from him. And, and that's the fact that Scott Frost knows that all that matters is winning. That's all that matters. And and what he says or how he says it, it just doesn't matter if he doesn't win. Because I will say this. I, I will say this. I do get tired of how some people want it both ways with Frost. And that goes for fans and even some media members. It is interesting and a little hypocritical to me how some people want it both ways with Frost. Like, where you'll have Scott Frost after Big Ten media days, certain people are like, come on, what was that? Don't be a downer. You got to be engaged. You got to project a positive, confident vision on things. Come on, man. But then when Frost does try to be positive with the media and does try to talk up things and and talk up his team and says he likes this or likes that about the program or he, he likes how they practice during the week or he likes what the how the locker room is that then gets met by those same people with come on man get real what the hell are you talking about how often can you say that come on for how stupid do you think we are for you to keep saying that how stupid must you be to even think that that, that's the reaction. It's like, so what do you want? What do you want from him? You don't want, you, you want him to be positive, but no, 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 not too positive, but you don't want him to be a, a, a you don't want him to be subdued and, and a downer because come on, man, come on. Where's the confidence? Got to project it. Well, what, I mean, what do you want? What do you, what do you want from him? Like he's a he's no fluff and matter of fact and not pumping positive positivity. You don't like that. He's he's positive and trying to talk up you know his program and all this stuff. You don't like that. I said this a few weeks ago. Scott Frost is in this spot where everything he says is met with cynical skepticism, skepticism, uh, from you know skepticism. Excuse me, jeez, I just like skepticism from fans and media members. Like, he, he can't win with what he says right now. He can't. The, the only way he can win is by winning. And Frost knows that. The only way to keep his job this year is by winning. So I think understanding all of that, Frost has, has I think, made a decision to kind of act accordingly with the media and, and probably not give him much. Now, is that the right move? Probably not, but I also get where he's coming from too. Do I wish he would have been more engaging and projected more positive confidence and, and all that stuff and and with how he spoke at Big Ten Media Days? Yeah, I do, sure. 
But I also know that a lot of the same people ripping Frost's performance at Media Days would have met a bunch of positive comments from Frost about how he likes the team and the staff and direction with snarky, cynical skepticism. So again, I get it. Not saying I agree with it. I would have encouraged, if I'd have been on the private plane heading to Indy, I would have encouraged Frost to be a little bit more engaging and to have an opening statement and all that stuff. But I also get why he did what he did. And the reality is none of this matters. It doesn't matter. All that matters is how the team performs starting in a month when they play game number one against Northwestern in Ireland. That's all that matters. So it just it was it was very interesting to watch the reaction to his media performance. Like, did I think he was outstanding? No. Did I think it called for a lot of the criticism? Not really. So that was kind of the one of because that was one of the biggest things to come out of media days was just the reaction to Frost's performance with the media. But, uh, Point number two, or thought number two, sticking with this. I'm going to stay fired up here for a little bit. Like, so Garrett Nelson, who was one of the three players that made it, uh, that was a player representative for Nebraska and Indianapolis. When Garrett Nelson was asked about Frost and the and you know the current situation and all that stuff, he at one point said, "I just quote, I just want to see him happy again." Talking about Frost, Garrett Nelson said, "I just want to see him happy again." And that quote and that comment got some run for for some people in kind of going, man, is Frost telling the team about, like, what is he telling the team? And what, what how is he acting on a day-to-day basis with, with the team around the facility and at practice and all that stuff? And to me, it's just odd to me that Nelson's comments got taken as Frost is, like, openly moping around and feeling legit sad for himself. Like he's walk, like he's walking into the office like, hey, guys, another day, horrible, and slams his office shut or something like that. Like, it's odd to me that people took those comments like that. Because my, like, when I read that comment, I thought, well, of course he's, you know, I want to see him happy again. Of course he's, you know, not happy because he's mad because they aren't winning. He's mad because they aren't winning. And Garrett Nelson would have to be living under chimney rock to not realize the reality of Frost's hot seat situation. So, of course, understanding the circumstances that that's going to, like, impact how he feels about everything. You know, like, I'll tell you right now, Dana Altman was miserable when we lost I knew that as a player I knew that as a graduate assistant coach when I was on staff with him when when crate when we would lose coach Altman was miserable miserable when I was he when when we'd lose he would get to the office he wouldn't talk to anybody I'm not exaggerating you could ask Kevin McKenna Brian Fish you can ask Darren DeVries. You can ask Todd Eisner. You can like Dana would not say he'd walk in. There were days after we would lose. He would walk into the office. He would walk straight into his 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 office, shut the door, wouldn't come out until practice. Cause he was pissed off that we lost. 
Bill Self was ready to Mount St. Helens volcano explode on everybody when we lost. So I guess I just don't know what these people are expecting Frost to be like on a day-to-day basis when they've had four straight losing seasons. Again, I'm not saying he has to, you know, be pissed off all the time, but like, I mean, I don't know. I just, some of these, some of the reactions to this stuff, like, I just want to see him happy. Oh, well, what is Frost? Like, you think, do you think Frost is super happy with how things are going right now? I would, I would ask you that. Do you think Frost is really happy with how things are going right now? You, you would say, no. So then I would say, so why are you surprised to hear Garrett Nelson say that you want to see him happy? I mean, like, I'd say most coaches hate losing more than they love winning. And when you add in the pressure of Nebraska football and then Frost's relationship with Nebraska and and how things are right now, this is an incredibly emotional situation. And then to kind of build off of that, I mean, even Garrett Nelson feels the that emotion personally too for my third kind of takeaway from Big Ten Media Days where Garrett Nelson also, he, he told two stories about kind of the pressure and the criticism he's felt and the players have felt with what's going on with not having a lot of success. Reading from the story here in, in the, the Husker Extra, according to Nelson, he was in a class with 10 players where the professor, quote, threw up a trivia question that equated to how many more incompletions can Adrian Martinez throw until he gets cut? And apparently Martinez was there. Whoa. And then the other story that Nelson shared came when he was walking by Memorial Stadium when a tour group went by and the leader of the group said, according to Nelson, Karen and Garrett Nelson, quote, this would be a lot cooler stadium if we actually won games. Those were two two stories from Garrett Nelson. Now, the professor one is just unbelievable that someone could be that big of an a-hole and not understand. I mean, wow. Now, the other one seems like totally plausible and, yeah, right? But I think I bring this up to show, this shows that everyone's feeling it. Everyone feels the heat. Everyone knows it. The heat is felt everywhere. Coaches, Frost, players, everyone. But when I read those stories, when I, when I read those quotes and heard from Garrett Nelson, like, I will say this, there... One of my first thoughts was there are certain stories that, while interesting, are sometimes best to just be kept to yourself or should only be shared with certain people and in certain settings. I thought the two stories from Garrett Nelson were interesting stories, and I'm not necessarily turning on the mic and, and wanting to crush Garrett Nelson for telling those stories. But to me, I wouldn't make a habit of sharing stories like that to the media. Shit, I I remember stuff being hurled at me when I was playing at Creighton. I remember when I was at Creighton, there was a Facebook group that was started after I transferred. I think it was by Nebraska fans. I have to assume it was. But the group was, it was a Facebook group called Nick Boss Sucks and Should Transfer to Nebraska Wesleyan. And it had, you know, a bunch of group members and they just would, they were just crushing me. 
right? I remember seeing that Facebook group. I remember being in my dorm and seeing that Facebook group. I then remember Matt Peralt, who was one of the drive time sports talk radio hosts on on 590 when I was when I was playing at Creighton. He said something to the effect of, "If you want to be a legitimate top 25 team, Nick Baugh can't be one of your starting guards." Like I heard, I heard that, I felt that, but I never would have openly shared those things with the Omaha World Herald. I never would have shared that to. Steve, the late great Steve Pivovar, or Tom Chattel, or Dirk Chatlin, or or who I never would have shared that. Just because, first of all, you don't want to give any of that any of that stuff any energy at all, and and or any life at all. And by by speaking it publicly, you're giving you're breathing life into it. And I've just I don't know. I've generally operated under this premise: nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody feels sorry for you. And fishing for sympathy publicly is just usually not a worthwhile endeavor. Or just to me, fishing for sympathy from anybody. I never, I I don't know where I necessarily, I didn't get this from anybody. It's not like my grandpa taught me this or my co- It's just, I just never assume anybody cares. I just don't. That's just me. It is funny to me when it's funny to me when players cite what people say or some negative thing, but then say like, "But we don't pay attention to that stuff." It's like, "Well, yeah, you do. You just said it, so you're paying attention." Like, but we don't listen to that stuff. Well, like, yeah, you do. You are like you had to have listened to it to then repeat it. Again, I'm just, I just am not someone that tries to seek out sympathy directly or indirectly especially in the media. And I'm not I'm hearing my heart. I love Garrett Nelson. I I was I think he's going to be one of the biggest breakout studs of the season. I think he is going to have a great year. I think he is he's one of my favorite players on the team. So I know I'm not I'm not this isn't this whole take isn't meant to be like a I'm ripping him. This is more of just like this uh, like a, a a school of thought that I usually try to abide by. I'm just not someone that tries to seek out sympathy directly or indirectly, especially in the media. I mean, you're, I remember Corey McEwen had that one post-game press conference and I think it was a post-game press conference. might have just been a press conference in 2007 where he made – I can't remember this, the specific comments – made some comments about similar things of uh, it's not fun anymore and, like, and kind of fishing for sympathy, and that didn't go over well for a lot of people. Generally speaking, it's not a great route to go. Again, I don't blame Garrett Nelson for sharing those stories, and I don't necessarily think he was hoping for hugs and pats on the backs with with sharing those stories. But it, it can land like that for some people. But beyond that, those stories were interesting stories, and it shows you how the heat is felt everywhere, man. It is felt everywhere. The Frost feels it. The coaching staff feels it. The players feel it. My fourth thought from Big Ten Media Days is, <laughs> man, listen to what I have been talking about here for wh- how long has this pop been going? We're almost 20 minutes in. This was Media Days. Kind of like a fluffy event that is just like, uh, like, Everybody inside Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, a bunch of just, it's a 
bunch of reporters and writers and, and interviews. This is this is media days. The way media days played out, and then the reaction to media days for Nebraska really lets us know to me that this season is about to be pretty intense and pretty stressful. Emotions are high. Tension is high. The stakes are high. This was media days. It's not even August. And Frost had an edge. Certainly didn't have a sunshine vibe to him. Chattel crushed him in a column. Certain media members criticized Frost's comments and demeanor and how he acted. Then Jabari Butler took issue with Tom Chattel's column and tweeted about it. The fans were emotional and reacting to it. It's just like, wow. If it's like this for media days, everyone better buckle up for the season. If it's like this for media days, where all we're doing is talking, this season's about to be really intense and could get really, really ugly and emotional depending on how this thing plays out. This was media days. It's almost like this is a terrible analogy. So I've, I've gotten really into my meat thermometer as it's grilling season. Instead of like, you know, cutting and trying to check, okay, is this medium well? Is this medium rare? Is this medium? What is this? Like, you know, you can just put a meat thermometer like in your steak and it tells you the temperature that it needs to be for how certain things are cooked. I think medium well is like 150 degrees or above or whatever. And one of the things that's interesting about it is like you can look at a piece of meat and you're not sure of the temperature and like then you you, you know you stick that meat meat thermometer in there and it's like all of a sudden it's woof it's up there 150 100 like whoa okay I wasn't sure how hot this thing was but man whoa it is really hot Big Ten Media Days was almost the meat thermometer of how this season could be be it's like I wonder how this is gonna be whoa this is hot. Right? Like, the stake is Nebraska football, the current state of, of affairs, the the season that is about to be. Big Ten Media Days was just the meat thermometer, and the reaction was how hot that thing was. Like, whoa, this thing is hot. It's media days. This has to be a first. And again, I love Tom Chattel, but this has to be a first that Tom Chattel has, has wrote a column like eviscerating a coach after media days. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors. By Pella, won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent 
at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable, and Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Fifth takeaway, and this was this was pretty interesting. Frost was asked about, you know, the hiring of Mark Whipple and, and the fact that now he's going to be giving up some his offensive giving up the offense, giving up offensive duties, giving up play calling, and which is obviously a huge topic. And Scott Frost's answer was interesting because Frost Frost pushed back on the notion of not being involved and and completely being out of the offense. He he said he isn't divorcing himself from it and that it'll be a collaborative thing on offense with him and Mark Whipple. And that got met with with varying takes. I honestly don't know what to make of that because some didn't like the answer, some were fine with it, and you, you do wonder, okay, how involved will Frost be? How involved should he be? And, I, you know, as I kind of was just thinking about it over the last day or so, like, I think, first of all, co- contrary to the narrative out there, Scott Frost didn't just forget everything about... He's not all of a sudden an offensive dummy, okay? Like, Scott Frost still knows a thing or two about offense and and scheming and play calling and all that stuff. At the end of the day, that is where his expertise lies as as a football mind. So when when you kind of acknowledge that, I think it would be kind of silly for him to not have some involvement in the offense, some role in the offense... And then even when I'm saying that, I then kind of think to myself, he's the head freaking coach. He's the head coach. The idea that he won't have any role with the offense is kind of just silly to even say out loud. It's going to have nothing to do with the offense. He's the head coach. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be calling the plays and installing and coming up with 100% of these offensive game plans and, and Whipple's just like executes them. and, and all. That's not how it'll be. But, I mean, a head coach has his hands in everything to a certain degree. And for me, I think there is a world where this collaboration between the two people of Whipple and Frost can exist where it's Whipple's offense and he's the decision the, the decision maker but Frost is you know has some role like I think that that's a that's not a far-fetched picture to paint to me but there's no doubt that there's a fine line for Frost to walk here because what you don't want is a micromanaging of things or a lack of trust in things I mean, if you're Frost, you hired Whipple for a reason. Whipple's had a ton of success. He's an older, experienced, veteran, proven offensive coordinator. You have to let him do his thing. But a mind like Frost offensively, like if you're Mark Whipple, why wouldn't you want to pick his brain? Why wouldn't you want his input? Why wouldn't you come in on, on a Tuesday of of the week before you're playing Rutgers and and say, hey, Scott, take a look at some of, of their third down blitzes. What do you how would you have what do you like in third down and short where they've blitzed a lot? 
Or, hey, what do you like in the red zone? You've seen their red zone cut-ups. Like, defensively, what do you what do you like? That seems like a realistic scenario and one in which I would think Whipple would... Why wouldn't you want to lean on people in your staff? So I see this... I see this a lot of different ways. I didn't expect to for Frost to ever say that he's going to have zero role with the offense. Like, I didn't ex- really try and say it out loud. I want you to picture Frost at the podium and just say, like, hey, listen, I have no – I am completely away from the offense. I have nothing to do with the offense. I have no input. I've no, Like, I don't – that's not a realistic picture, reality at all to me. I don't think that was that was ever what the case was going to be. But the question is can can Mark Whipple have the freedom to do his thing and run things how he sees fit with with also utilizing Frost as a resource and having a collaborative effort there in certain ways. I don't know why we act like that is an impossible task. I definitely think it can be done. But I'm also not naive to to the balance in that task. This is where, to me, Mark Whipple's age and experience, I think, helps. I think he can he can deal with Frost peeking in and helping and have it be a good thing. But it's also hard because, like, what are we talking about? Like, I don't know what it's going to look like. And frankly, neither do you. I don't know. I'm, you're not in there. I'm not in, this, in the offices. I'm not sure what it looks like. But I guess for me, when I conjure up an image of what it could possibly look like, the idea that Frost is, isn't going to have – just, you know, be involved in some capacity with the offense. Like, I, I mean, that seems normal, fine, okay. I don't that, – that's not a crazy picture for me. You know, I get how Frost stepping away from the offense is a big – or, you know, and hiring Whipple is a, is a big story. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, this is why he was hired here. He was the, the, offensive, the offensive boy wonder genius, and it hasn't fully worked out to that extent. But that also doesn't render him completely an idiot when it comes to offense. And I think by hiring an offensive coordinator to come in and take things over doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have no role with the offense. My sixth takeaway. I actually thought this was one of the one of the more interesting things Frost said because he said it in a very, very uh, matter-of-fact, simple way. And I don't really know if what he said, like I don't really know how to fully discuss it, but it really matters and it probably is something that hasn't been talked about enough. And it's the whole notion of team chemistry, team camaraderie, and coming together as one. And the, Frost made the point to say, listen, we have the talent. We have the newcomers. We have, I love the pieces we brought in. I'm paraphrasing here. I love the coaching staff. We've, we've, the coaches we brought on board. I love all the newcomers. Now we have to become a team. I loved how he landed it. Now we have to become a team. I love our pieces. Now we have to become a team. And I'll say this, this is where Scott Frost has to be elite this year. How What he encapsulated there 
to me, falls squarely on Frost. As a leader, as the leader, because he is the leader. Now, a football team has multiple leaders, but at the end of the day, he is the captain, the head honcho. As a leader, getting everyone to buy in and come together is 100% his job. Now, this is where him giving most of or a good portion of the offensive responsibilities to Whipple is huge. And this is where that CEO gravitation thing is huge because in theory, it should allow him to really focus on the heartbeat, the soul, and the leadership of that team. You know, yes, it's going to allow him to spend more time with special teams. It's going to allow him to spend more time in the weight room. It's going to allow him to spend more time with Eric Chenander in the defense. And it's going to allow him to do a lot of things like that. But to me, one of the things that I would encourage Frost to spend a lot of time doing is him really, really getting invested in the molding and coming together in trying to lead that charge with the totality of the group. He talks about how much he loves coaching and all that stuff, and he loves calling plays and all that. He better get just excited about the leadership of the group as he does about calling a third down and five play-action pass. He said it. We got to become a team. Well, the number one most important person in that process is Scott Frost. He has to provide a vision. He's got to get everyone to sacrifice, to buy in, to believe. He's got to be that guy. I am fascinated with that. Now, again, it's hard to discuss because we're talking about kind of a you know, intangible things that are hard to quantify but matter greatly. Likes the pieces. Now we got to become a team. Such a spot-on, simple way to sum up how that situation looks in that locker room. It's going to be hard. All those new coaches, 15 new transfers, a lot of which are going to be starters or in the two deep. Like, got to find a way to get everybody to come together as one. And I think the number one guy in that process is Frost. Takeaway number seven from Big Ten Media Days. Casey Thompson is the front runner to be the quarterback. I know that's not breaking news, but Scott Frost did say that when camp starts, Casey Thompson will get the first snap with the ones. Again, that's not, you know, oh my gosh, a hot take. It's amazing, unbelievable news. But I do think it reaffirmed what we all thought. I think A.C. Thompson's the front runner. I think to a certain extent it's his job to lose. He's still got to go earn it, and it is vital that he earn it. You don't want to hand the quarterback job to someone who hasn't earned it. It's the most high-profile position on the team and a position that carries a ton of weight with the locker room and the chemistry. 
but I was just curious how Frost would answer any question about the quarterbacks and if there would be any chubba buzz from him. And it was, you know, it was a pretty stock answer that didn't divulge a ton, but based on what we all can piece together, right? Casey Thompson has the most starting experience. He's the oldest. Spring ball, he was the, the number one guy. And now, combined with this comment from Frost at Big Ten Media Days, I think it's what we all thought, but anytime there's a quarterback situation that isn't completely settled, it's always interesting to keep your eye on it. Casey, Casey Thompson is the front runner. He He's getting the first snap with the ones when – fall camp begins, which tells you, I think, I think it's his job to lose. Takeaway number eight. Listen, man, I remember I was in a Marriott hotel in Columbus, Ohio in it was like mid January. And I was recording a podcast on the road. I was getting ready to call Penn state at Ohio state for the big 10 network. And I remember recording a pod in my in my hotel room. And I remember saying this in mid-January, and I still think it now. I still think Nebraska should have exhausted all options back in, you know, December or January, even February, especially when COVID was still really still a very heightened part of the conversation. I think Nebraska should have done all all they could to try to get out of that game in Ireland and try to have that game be played in Evanston against Northwestern where there was a lot a lot of Scott Frost questions were directed at how do you handle it with a week 0 game in Ireland with all your changes and all that stuff it's a, it's a real tricky thing to navigate and Scott Frost has said it's a business trip this isn't a bowl trip they aren't planning a bunch of fun things when they get to Dublin. And it is clearly an obstacle for this coaching staff and Frost to navigate. Again, I thought back in mid-January, I said it on a pod back in mid-January, that Nebraska should do all they can to get out of that trip. Now, again, this is coming from a guy who was sitting in a Marriott in Ohio, not knowing how contracts were and all those sorts of things. But again, I felt like with COVID still ramping, you could have played some card or whatever. Like, you could, I feel like you could have explored something to try to get out of that trip to say, let's not play that game in Dublin. Let's play that game in the United States. Let's play that game at Northwestern. I, I really, I think Frost would sign up right now if someone knocked on Frost's door. Hey, Frost. Hey, real quick. So. We can do this if you want. We could play Northwestern at Northwestern in Evanston. We can do that instead of going to Dublin. Do you want to do that or do you want to go to Dublin? I would think Scott Frost would, it would take all of 0.2 seconds for him to fall out of his chair and go, yes, go. let's play here. We're playing here. Let's play at Evanston. We'll play Northwestern at Northwestern. The travel part of this heading overseas to Ireland, it just adds a layer to what is already a really layered, difficult task of having to get a ton done in fall camp with all these new faces, all these new transfers, all these new coaches, all this, a brand new playbook. A br- 
It's a lot. And the trip to Ireland is just an added issue and obstacle to navigate. And, and then I, I even have talked about this. I just don't even know who that trip is even for. Now, I don't know if the numbers have changed a ton, but about a month ago, maybe a little more than a month ago, there was some initial reports on what the ticket sales were looking like in Ireland between Nebraska and Northwestern, and the ticket sales were terrible. They were terrible. So... At least at the time, the fans clearly haven't jumped on this. The players and coaches aren't going to get to do a bunch of fun things while they're in Ireland. My guess is Nebraska and Northwestern are going to play in front of a half-full stadium at best. So it's like, what are, what are they even doing? So I digress. I don't even know what I'm talking about because it's not going to, it doesn't matter. But I just, I thought Nebraska should have tried to, to do all they can to try to get out of that trip seven to eight months ago. And I still think it today. If I'm to, I bet if you ask Frost, you can play that game at Northwestern if you want. He would say, yes, God, yes. Instead of flying all the way to Ireland, you're going to get a, you know, a 50 minute flight to Chicago. You're going to fly for an hour in Chicago? I'll take that. Plus, there'd be way more Husker fans that would make the trip to Evanston. I mean, Nebraska's kind of been notorious for taking over Evanston and its stadium there. Like, whatever. I'll let that one go. But it just, I, I thought it at the time. I still think it today. Ninth takeaway. Uh, you know, Trev Alberts was obviously there, and Trev was awesome as he always is. What an impressive guy. Again, each time I see him, I'm just still like, man, I can't believe we ever didn't think that he wasn't the easy choice to be the athletic director and isn't just a home run at that spot. But he had one quote that kind of jumped out at me and stuck with me because I guess it kind of reaffirmed where we're all, you know, we're all trying to confirm what we already think to a certain extent. But it kind of confirmed how I viewed something. But it was in Chattel's story where uh, Trev was was pressed again about the mystery metrics about Frost's contract and all that stuff heading into this year. And the, and reading from Chattel's story, uh, Chattel writes, while there is a mystery around the, quote, metrics Alberts gave Frost to meet in 2022, he told me again, that is not a number. A number, Albert said, can be deceiving both ways. You might be seven and five, but still look sloppy. You might be six and six, but had impactful injuries and otherwise played well. I did almost an entire pod on this. On how misleading or in, in Trev's case, sometimes deceiving just a raw final win total can be. And how you got to be careful as a decision maker, like Trev is, especially with the magnitude of a decision like this is, you got to be careful about painting yourself into a corner with a hard concrete number on wins. And while winning is, is, you know, ultimately that's all that matters in sports, it's a bottom line business. Like Trev said, you know, wins and numbers can also be deceiving at times. 
There have been seasons where you're at the end of Frost's first year where they they finished they only, they only won four games, but they finished four and two. I felt better about like where things were then than maybe where things were at the end of Riley's second year when they finished with nine wins or even at the end of some seasons under Bo Pelini when they finished with nine wins. I... I just I think you can wed the two worlds of hey got to start winning totally agree with that with also the subjectivity of how something looks or feels if you're Trev Alberts like I think you got to it's a holistic thing there's a concrete bottom line to it got to win totally get it totally with it but there is a a gray area that is real in this, that is a little more subjective of how something looks and how something feels. How many people would have thought Nebraska would go 3-9 and nine and there'd be some people, like me, even arguing, that like, man, it felt like that team really was close and did a lot of good things. On the surface, you go, 3-9? and nine? What? Yeah, but that, but again, that's why there's the, you got to watch the games and get the feel for things. That the, I liked that quote from Trev because I think it's true. And the final takeaway from Big Ten Media Days was, you know, there there's still the elephant in the room from a broad sense for the Big Ten is, hey, when is the new television deal going to get announced? And what is happening? Are there any more moves with the Big Ten adding teams, right? After the USC and UCLA move, you kind of thought, okay, is there, there going to be more to follow suit here? I really thought that the Big Ten would have their TV deal announced at Big Ten Media Days. I thought it would be locked in and ready to go. I thought it would kind of have been the perfect place to do it. And I would have to imagine that's what the Big Ten was hoping for, but it didn't happen. And naturally that, that you know, the topic was still discussed and thrown at Kevin Warren because everyone is still wondering about the TV deal and and expansion for the Big Ten. And the reality is those two things kind of go hand in hand. Kevin Warren didn't unveil and the Big Ten didn't unveil the new television deal. And Kevin Warren didn't shut the door on expanding further in terms of adding teams. And so I just... I think when you when you look at everything, I think it is clear, and this is you know based on reports as well that the Big Ten is waiting on Notre, Notre Dame's answer. The Big Ten has extended an invitation to Notre Dame. They want Notre Dame. They are going to wait for Notre Dame. That's who they want. The Big Ten wants Notre Dame. They're waiting for them to answer. And to me, that's what the holdup is to announcing this new TV deal, in my opinion. It's all a waiting on Notre Dame game. And then on top of that, there was a there was a report, I think it was from CBS and, and Brett McMurphy, the Action Network, I believe, that the Big Ten was also potentially targeting Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal as potential additional members that they would try to get into the Big Ten. Which kind of was like what? I mean, I thought I I thought I thought this when I heard it, and I thought Chris Vanini and the of the Athletic put it well in a tweet. He said, "If the in a tweet, if the Big Ten really wanted any of those Pac-12 schools, they'd already be in, 
Right now, it's about potential Notre Dame partners. And I completely agree. Floating out Stanford. Hey, we kind of like Stanford. I don't know. Stanford might be coming. It's almost like you're throwing a party and it's like, well, who's going to be there? You're like, I don't know. Mark Wahlberg might be there and the people are like, ooh, okay, well, I'll come. Like, you're, it's almost like, I don't know, Stanford might be in the league and that makes Notre Dame be like, ooh, really? Okay. All right. I already got USC in the league. We got that. Okay. Like, to me, it's just a little Notre Dame bait with those schools. In, again, in particular, Stanford, because that's who they played for a while there. But the reality is, I think the Big Ten is waiting on Notre Dame. Otherwise, I think the deal would have been announced. I got to think that the Big Ten wanted to have this TV deal done for media days. I mean, it's like a celebration of the Big Ten. It would have been the perfect time to unveil the new television deal. But a huge domino has not fallen, and they have not gotten a yes or a no from Notre Dame yet. Because that's the other thing. This tells me that Notre Dame hasn't told them no either. It's gonna be re- it's gonna be interesting to see what happens and and what Notre Dame does. I can't wait to see what the new television deal looks like for the Big Ten, both in raw dollar amount and in what networks are are involved in the in the deal. My guess is Fox has the the most and biggest cut, owns the most of the Big Ten pie, and then it's a it's split between CBS and NBC. That's my guess. I th- I I think the I think the war between Fox and ESPN is on. I think the days of Fox and ESPN sharing things are are a I think there's a chance those days are over. CBS lost that 2:30 window for their SEC game because it went to ESPN. They want to stay viable. They need a Big Ten game to put in that slot. NBC wants to add to its football. Lineup. They want to. They want to have a Notre Dame game, and then they want to have a Big Ten game to follow it, or vice versa. So my guess is it's Fox, and then it's a combination of CBS and NBC. And then I think the dollar amount is going to surpass a billion, which is just incredible, absolutely incredible. So there you go. Ten takeaways. Big Ten media days. Ooh, a little intense, wasn't it? Didn't think we'd have scathing stuff to talk about, but just shows you how this season could be, man. Month away from games. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Appreciate everybody uh, downloading, listening to the podcast. Again, you can email me, nick at nickbot.com. Make sure you you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you give it a five-star rating and review. And we appreciate you. Catch you next time on the Nick Bot Podcast. A Huda Media Production.